Hey, let's open our Bibles this evening to 1 Kings. 1 Kings. Last week we started this book, and it's an interesting book because, you know, it starts off with really the end of David's life, David's reign, and him passing the baton to Solomon. And the unfortunate thing about the book of Kings is it doesn't really end well. It starts off really well because Solomon's kingdom, Solomon's reign, was probably no doubt the greatest moment in Israel's history because at that time they had their temple. Everything just seemed to be going really well. And God had told David, David's uh, career, his reign was riddled with some things. Although David was a wonderful king and a fantastic king, He also made some very poor decisions, some bad mistakes, sin issues, and it caused a lot of pain for him and his family, and certainly it brought about some of the most incredible psalms, just from the very depth of them, from David's life. And let me just say this, you're going to hear some sounds, it sounds like somebody's knocking on something. All that is, and we'll edit this out later, (laughs) not that you care, but I do, Um, those sounds like that are not somebody on the roof. It's just the roof settling. And, and as the heat and as the temperature changes, you're going to hear some of that buckling sound with the stuff up top. So don't let that bother you. Nobody's trying to break in. Would to God that people were trying to get into a church, you know? You know, the place is just so full that people are outside and we have to cut out, people are cutting holes in the roof like they did in Jesus' time. It'd be kind of neat. But anyway, so back to Kings. But no doubt the best time in history was, was here, where we're getting ready to embark on. And the first uh, 11 chapters of 1 Kings really spends quite a, de- quite a big time, uh, quite a deal of time with Solomon's reign. And it is a good, uh, a good thing. And let's just recap quickly the first chapter, uh, the first chapter of the book of Kings. You remember that Uh, David had a son by the name of Adonijah, and as David is getting old and it's looking very possible that he's going to pass on his fourth son, who was the heir apparent to the throne by logical reasons, but one of the things that um, Adonijah, that's his name, one of the things that he didn't know was that it had already been established by God to David and also to Bathsheba that it wasn't going to be anybody from David's sons, his first six sons that he had while he was in Hebron when he was king there for the first uh, seven and a half years. But it would be a son that would come after that time, and that would certainly be Solomon. And that was uh, ordained by God, and it's written for us in the Scripture. Um, And we'll look at that tonight. And so this young man decides that he, he wanted to exalt himself and he wanted to be king and he was good looking on top of that. And so he tries to assume the throne. And then once Nathan the prophet, who was a confidant of David, once he finds out about this, he comes and he speaks to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, and basically says, have you heard about this? And she's like, um, no, what's going on? And she basically tells him, or he basically tells her that they're anointing Adonijah king 
about, uh, I don't know, about a half a mile or about a, um, a little bit more than a half a mile down from where the king is currently located at a place called Enrogal, which is a place where there is a spring right to the south of Zion, uh, right to the south of the Kidron uh, Valley and the Valley of Hinnom, just south of that. And so they're down there anointing the king. And uh, so Bathsheba, she runs in before Solomon uh, and she tells him basically what's going on, or in before David, excuse me. And David is, um, he's totally unaware of this. And so he realizes that he's got to do something. He knows what God has told him, but for one reason or another, we really don't know. He, he didn't make this known to the nation, evidently. Um, it was uh, information that he held close to a few people, evidently. Um, and so he, he calls for Nathan the priest, or I'm sorry, Nathan the prophet and Zadok the priest. And they, he commands, David commands them to take Solomon now down to the Gahon Spring where they anoint him king. And while they're anointing him king and the people from the city and everything, there's a, there's a big noise about this, obviously, because David is anointing his, his predecessor or his successor. That Adonijah and his group that's hanging out together, having a big feast, they hear the noise and word comes to them about what it is. And it tells us in verse 49 of chapter 1, it says, So all the guests who were with Adonijah now, they are afraid. And they arose and they each one went his way. And now Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar and it was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for he, for look, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. And then Solomon said, If he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. And so King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar. And he came and he fell down before King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, go to your house. In other words, Adonijah, I'm not, I'm not, my words to you are going to be few. I want you to go to your house and behave. <laughs> because if you don't behave, you're going to lose your life. And so that was basically Solomon's advice to him. Now we're going to read just the first uh, 25 verses of, second, of the second uh, chapter here, and then we'll go back and take a look at it. Notice what it says, Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies. And as, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, notice that the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, you know also what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and to Amasa, the son, the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime, and but, 
and put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore, do according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace, but show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let him be among those who eat at your table. For so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother." And see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite from Baharim, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the way when I went to Mahanaim. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him. But bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood." And so David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron. And in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. And then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. So she said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, Say it. And then he said, You know that the kingdom was mine, and all Israel set their expectation on me that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. Now I ask one petition of you, and do not deny me. And she said to him, Say it. And then he said, Please speak to the king Solomon, for he will not refuse you, that he may give me Abishag, the Shunammite, as wife. And so Bathsheba said, Very well, I will speak for you to the king. Bathsheba therefore went to the king Solomon and to speak to him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her and sat down on his throne and had a throne set for the king's mother. And so she sat at his right hand. And then she said, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, Ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. So she said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as wife. Now you can almost feel Solomon's blood pressure. If you could put like a, one of those cuffs on him, and uh, like they do in the thing. And as she's speaking, as she's saying this, his blood pressure is going up. And he's going to share with us his real feelings. There won't be any mystery about what he's thinking. And so um, King Solomon answered and said to his mother, now, now why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother. For him and for Abiathar the priest and for Joab the son of Zeruiah. And then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of my father David, and who has established a house for me as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. And so King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down, and he died. And he died. And so very interesting, and certainly we're not done with this passage at all, but we will uh, stop there for now. But as, as we continue to read uh, through uh, this chapter, a, a verse came into my mind, and it was Galatians chapter 6. 
in verse 7 and 8, and it goes like this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so we're going to see this scripture being put to the test in the lives of those who were close to David and within his own administration tonight. We're going to see this very thing uh, come to pass, that whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And, and, and we're going to see these characters that seemingly have gotten away with some really atrocious acts. And now that Solomon is on the throne and coming to his coronation, he's going to write things. He's going to start off with a clean slate. So we're going to see uh, a change in personnel in Solomon's administration or in Solomon's kingdom as opposed to his father. Certainly we're going to see Solomon replacing David on the throne, but we're also, and here's the spoiler alert, we're going to see Adonijah, he's going to be executed for treason and treachery. We're going to see Abiathar, the high priest, he's going to be ultimately kicked out and exiled, and ultimately Zadok, the high priest, will take his place. We're also going to see Joab going to be executed. Yes, Joab, David's nephew. Remember, David had a sister named Zeruiah. It was a half-sister, and she had three sons, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. And, um, and Joab killed Asahel, and he also killed another man by the name of Abner, who was uh, Saul's, King Saul's commander of the army. And he did all of this in cold blood. And there, were, there was a consequence for those who killed in cold blood. It wasn't during wartime when they were against an enemy. This was cold blood by Joab. And so we're going to see Joab executed, David's nephew. And Shimei will ultimately be executed for his disobedience. And we'll look at that. But we're also going to see kindness given to Barzillai, the Gileadite, and his family because of how he helped David when David was being exiled from Jerusalem and running from his son Absalom, who was seeking to overthrow his kingdom. And remember, it was Barzillai and a group of other men, actually, that while David was on the east side of the Jordan River in a town called Mahanaim, was a very fortified city, he was there and forming his army to go out against Absalom, that it was there at that place that Barzillai, the Gileadite, came with all kinds of food and you know, clothing and beds and all these things for David and his men. And so David, before he, as he's passing the baton to Solomon, he's basically telling him all these things. David, I want you to be careful about these people, this individual, this individual, and this individual. And what a great advice for a king to give his son. David now is 70 years old and he's getting ready to go to be with the Lord. And he's made all the preparations for the temple. We'll see that. But he also gives his son advice. He's been around the block a few times. And now in his old age, he's like, you know what? David, there's some things you need to understand. And there's some people that you need to be very careful of because there's going to be a lot of jealousy. There's going to be a lot of hatred for you. And there's a couple people I need to tell you about. And you know, sometimes when there is a new administration in power, you know, uh, there has to be, oftentimes there is a purging. 
And not necessarily a death sentence for those, but uh, a purging of the old guard that was in charge. And sometimes that needs to happen, especially when there are ill motives and, and problems that have, hap- that have happened. And sometimes allegiances were established and enemies were made, and those enemies have to be dealt with, especially if they are a threat to peace and also God's plan. And we certainly see this uh, tonight, and we'll see this throughout the chapter of, of, of Solomon's reign, that he, that he has to take care of these loose ends of David's reign. Things that David perhaps should have taken care of himself, but he didn't. So go back to verse 1 with me now. It says, Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son. And remember, David was 70 at this time. And you might want to put in the margin of your Bible uh, this scripture reference, because this will kind of give you an idea of uh, David's reign and his years and his life. And it makes it very easy to see. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. 2 Samuel 5, verses 4 and 5. And let me just read it to you. Because notice it says that it came time for him to die. And, 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 and 2 Samuel 5 tells us how old David was when he began to reign and how also how long he reigned. And so we know that he was 70 years old when he passed. You and I, I mean, many of you in this room are 70 or older. Or, but, you know, back at this time, they didn't have the medicines and the things that we have to keep us going. And so 70 at this time, especially for a warrior like David, he was aged and he had uh, health issues, I'm sure. But it says, here's the, the reference, 2 Samuel 5, verse 4. It says, David was 30 years old when he began to reign. So you just do the math here. He was 30, and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years. So you do the math, and it was 70 years old. And so that verse really sums it all up right there. And notice what David says. He says, I go the way of all the earth. He says this to Solomon. So be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And I love this. Dan, you know, David was a man's man. He was a warrior. He was a musician. He was a man of integrity. He had his faults. He messed up a few times. But he, was, he got back on the path, and he was a man after God's own heart. The sweet psalmist of Israel, the Bible tells us. And so he tells his son, prove yourself like a man. I go the way of all the earth. This phrase, I go the way of all the earth, is a very common phrase. In Joshua chapter 23, verse 14, Joshua, in his farewell address before he would pass from the scene, would say the very same thing, a very common address. Joshua said, again, Joshua 23, verse 14, Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And you know that in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. Joshua obviously talking to the Israelites. And he says, all have come to pass for you and not one word of them has failed. And so finally, you know, David says this very same thing. And in verse 3 he says, and keep the charge. Solomon, keep the charge of the Lord your God. This idea of keeping the charge is guard it, preserve it, keep it. Keep it safe. Hold it dear to you. Hold it near to you. And he would go on and say, Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. 
that the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your son takes heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And so the question that I have is, why is David exhorting Solomon to obey the Lord in all of his statutes, commandments, and judgments, and testimonies? Well, the answer was in the verse that we just read. That Solomon, number one, would prosper in all that he does and wherever he turns. That's a good thing, wouldn't you say? To obey the Lord, isn't that what God wants for us to do? He wants us to live. He wants to give us life. And so he wants us to live according to what he has told us already in advance. Things that we need to stay away from. Things that we need to be careful of. It really behooves us to listen to the one who created us and all things. He knows very well darkness and and light. He knows everything in between. He's aware of it. He even created it. He allowed it. So he said to them that that you may prosper, Solomon, wherever you turn. And also, the second thing that he said this to him is that the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke to David. Yes, to David in in 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 12. And that was the Davidic covenant that God made with David. I would encourage you to read that. And bear in mind that as you look at 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 6, I would give you a couple other scriptures to write down because 2 Samuel chapter 7 only gives you a portion of what God spoke to David. Only a portion. And you might want to mark these uh, scriptures down. They're all in 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 6 through 10. And also 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 3 through 7. Because God told not only David, that he, he would have a son who would, be, who would be on the throne and he would establish his throne forever, but he also named Solomon by name and told David that his son Solomon would be the one. And so all of this was known to David. And yet when Adonijah came on the scene, you would think that you know, David was so old and incapacitated, he, he wasn't really communicating. He wasn't a good communicator um, uh, with his family. And maybe things would have been different if he would have just shared the whole thing with, the whole, with all the whole country and remove all doubt because Adonijah was fourth in line. Absalom had already died and the fourth in line was Adonijah. It would have seemed obvious, but David could have cleared everything up right then and just told everybody, hey, listen, God spoke to me and this is what, this is the heir to the throne. But for whatever reason, he didn't. Maybe just time, maybe who knows what it was. I don't even want to presume. But in those other, in First Chronicles chapter 22 and 28, you see the rest of the story of what God told to David in that covenant. And it's very important that you read that because uh, it really names Solomon by name. There's no question mark about who was supposed to take David's place. But notice back in our text in verse 5, He says, Moreover, you know also what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and to Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime and the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. Yes, Joab, David's nephew, was loyal to David as long as it suited Joab's purposes. 
Joab was loyal as long as it suited his purpose, but he was a self-willed man. He was a bloodthirsty man, very unlike David. David was a very gracious, a very merciful man. We see his character all throughout Samuel about how, how careful he was to do that. He was a great warrior. When he was in war, he killed for the cause. But when he was not in war, he didn't just kill people. He, was very, he held life uh, as uh, sacrosanct. It was, it was sacred to him. And he knew that when I'm not in war, I have no business killing people just because they're my enemies. Joab was of a different sort. He did do those things. So notice in verse 6, Therefore, uh, David says to Solomon, Therefore, do according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. And you know, as time went on in David and Joab's relationship, remember, they're, they're related uh, both of these men had things against each other. Uh, they had both put each other in difficult positions. But I believe that Joab was more of a liability for David than the other way around. And there were issues between the, uh, the two of them. Number one, David, uh, remember, commanded Joab through a letter. Remember when he got Uriah, the Hittite, who was one of his mighty men, he got his wife pregnant. Remember? It tells us in Second Samuel uh, 11 and 12. And that happened, and uh, he tried to get Joe, or, um, Uriah to come back from the battlefield to visit his wife and obviously have intimate relationships with her, hoping that it would cover up the fact that David had already impregnated her. But Uriah, being a man of integrity, he would not, and so... David finally sends him back to the battle, but not without a note that was sealed with a signet ring. And that note was his own death sentence that he delivered to Joab, the general of the army. And in that letter, David told Joab to stick Uriah in the very front of the battle, in the heat of the battle, where he would surely be outwitted and outmatched by the warriors on the front on the other side and that he would be killed and that's certainly what happened and so Joab had some info on David he had some dirt on David and I think that David and that was what David felt he had to do to cover his sin and then we know that Joab killed Abner and Amasa in cold blood, and so David had that over on Joab. Joab also despised David taking the census, and he did it half-heartedly. And Joab was, at this point, and later in, 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 their, in David's reign, was really getting, their relationship was really getting stressed. And finally, Joab would be confederate with David's son, Adonijah. We already read it tonight, but we're going to read it again. He becomes confederate with him to overthrow his father, David. And so these two men, Joab and David, had a lot of things, skeletons in their closets. And their relationship was pretty much over by this time. And David should have dealt with Joab while he reigned, but he didn't do it. But he exhorted Solomon to take care of it, to take care of Joab's murders and treason against David. But notice back in our text, it says, But show kindness, David says to Solomon, show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. And uh, what a wonderful man this Barzillai was. And you can read about him in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 17. 
verse 27. And you can also read about him in 2 Samuel chapter 19, verses 31 through 39. We're not going to do that tonight, but uh, check out 2 Samuel 17, chapter, uh, 7, chapter 17, verse 27, and 2 Samuel chapter 19, uh, 31 through 39. And that kind of gives you the, the, the relationship that David had with this man who took care of him. And see, that, that, that was David's character. You take care of me in, in my moment of need, and I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of. That's just the way he rolled, and I like that. I think that's a good thing. Because why would you do the opposite? Why would you do well to someone who has, or do harm to someone who has done you well? It doesn't make sense. It reminds me of the same kind of kindness that David showed Mephibosheth. Remember who Mephibosheth was? Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. In other words, King Saul's grandson. Because King Saul gave birth to Jonathan and other sons. But Jonathan gave birth to Mephibosheth. And after Saul and uh, uh, Jonathan were killed in battle by the Philistines, David at one point says, Is there anybody of the house of Saul that I could show kindness to? And they said, Oh, there is one, but he's lame on his feet. He was dropped as a baby, and here he is. And David took this man, who would normally be an enemy to the throne of David because it was his rival. Remember, Saul was after David, and all of Israel was after David at one point. And David could have killed him and ended his father's reign and his house, basically. But David, notice, chose compassion. It reminded me of that again. You know, just the kindness of David. And boy, kindness is such a wonderful thing. It's something that you don't see a whole lot today in this world. You know, we're Christians. Are we kind? Or are we just nasty and mean? You know, we've been through a lot together, the whole country. There's reasons to be upset and frustrated, certainly, but you know, I, I look at some of the things I, every now and then I on social media and I see Christians and the things they say and the things they do and how nasty they can be and I'm like you know I just don't know where they went wrong you know why is it that we've got to be that way I think we could do much better by being kind and I, I need to remember that because I get angry too and I need to change as well So verse 8, back in our text, David again speaking to Solomon, he says, and, uh, and see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite from Baharim, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I came to Mahanaim, but he came down to meet me at the Jordan afterwards, when I, and this is when David was uh, restored to his kingdom after Absalom had died, um, Shimei comes back to meet him at the Jordan, and, and David says, And I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Did he deserve to be put to death? I mean, as David is, remember, leaving Jerusalem, this guy is up on a hill, and he's cursing David in front of all of his family as he's going into exile, leaving Jerusalem, knowing that Absalom is coming after him. And this guy, Shimei, this Benjamite, is cursing David and all of his family, throwing rocks and kicking dust on them as they go by. And in fact, Abishai, one of David's nephews, says, uh, should I go take that dead dog's head off his shoulders? And David says, no, leave him alone. 
Maybe God has sent him to humble me, you know. And again, just what a wonderful character David is. See, that's the kind of stuff that not many people are made of today. To bless your enemies, to those who despitefully use you, to bless them and not curse them. And David had made an oath not to harm Shimei, but Solomon had, there was no oath that Solomon had made to do the same. And so um, I, I just want to mention a couple of scriptures here, and I want, I want you to write them down, because in these two scripture references, you'll, you'll understand what happened with Shimei. You'll see him at the very beginning when he's cursing David, and then you're going to see what, how he turns around and all of a sudden comes back to David and begs forgiveness. Oh, I didn't really mean it. You know, you really are a great guy. And all that stuff I said when you were leaving, it's, it's not true. You know, and you just, you know, the crocodile tears. But write these things down because I think it'll enrich as you, as you read this passage again. Write down 2 Samuel 16, uh, verses 5 through 14. 2 Samuel 16, 5, 5 through verse 14, and also in 2 Samuel as well, chapter 19, verses 18 through 23. Chapter 19, verses 18 through 23. Because in that first scripture reference, you hear Shimei cursing David as he goes into exile, and then in the second one I gave you, you're going to hear Shimei's uh, cries of regret um, as David is coming back into Jerusalem, and now he's uh, spouting a different tune, singing a different tune now, which is very common for somebody who is about ready to lose their life. You know, you got nothing to lose but beg for mercy. <laughs> and David, because he was of that ilk, he was the kind of man to extend mercy. He did that. And, you know, last week, um, when we were in 1 Kings, uh, the first chapter in verse 8, um, I made mention that Shimei, that is mentioned there in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, I made mention that this was probably, <clears throat> excuse me, I made mention that that Shimei was probably this Shimei that we're talking about right now, but I don't believe it was. After looking into it a little bit more, there, there were over 20 different people in the Bible named Shimei. And um, I believe that this Shimei that, were, that um, was in chapter 1, verse 8, is not the Shimei that cursed David and ultimately, uh, you know, um, apologized to him later. So you just need to be aware of that. So notice now in verse 10, it says, The death of David. If you've got a New King James Version Bible, the, the caption above these verses say, The death of David. It says, So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, which is Zion. Which, if you look, if you go to the temple, if you go to Jerusalem with us in another year, um, you'll, you'll go to the Temple Mount and you'll see this. And right to the south of the Temple Mount is a strip of land, and they've uncovered there, and that is the city of Zion. That is where David's kingdom was. Because when David was king, the Temple Mount was nothing more than a field. It was flat. There was nothing on it. That's where ultimately Solomon would build his temple. But during David's time, there was just a strip of land going down to the south. And that's where David had the, a tabernacle. That's where he brought in the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where he had an altar. And that's where David was buried. And so he rested with his fathers in the city of David, which is called 
Zion. Okay, Zion is that little strip of land just to the south of the current day Temple Mount. And they've uncovered a lot of that stuff. It's really amazing. You can go and you can see right where his palace was and the remnants of it. It's really fantastic. But So notice in verse 11 it says, The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron and Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. And then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David and his kingdom, notice, was firmly established you know, uh, firmly established. And, you know, because his father made sure that Solomon's reign would be something special because God made it something special. And in fact, in First Chronicles chapter 29, which is a uh, parallel to the account that we're looking at tonight, in verse 23, it gives us a little more information about this. And it says that Solomon sat on the throne, and this is First Chronicles 29, beginning in verse 23. And it says, Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king as king instead of David his father, and he prospered, and all Israel obeyed him, all the leaders and the mighty man, mighty men, excuse me, and also all the sons of King David who were born to him, of course, in Jerusalem, they submitted themselves to King David. Thank you, Jesus. And so the Lord exalted Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. What amazing grace that is. Wouldn't you agree? Amazing grace. Because David did everything. David wanted to build the temple, and God says, David, you're a man of blood. You're a man of war. You're not going to build the temple, but your son Solomon will. And so David said, well, if I can't build the temple, then I'm going to make sure my son has everything he needs. I'm going to have the artisans. I'm going to have all the lumber, all the gold, the silver, the bronze, uh, the timber, uh, you name it, the precious stones. I'm going to mass this up, and, and it was just incredible. And David even ordered, he had the, the whole template, the, the blueprint of the temple, of what it was supposed to look like. God gave him that, the blueprint of the temple, and how everything will be divided in, in order. There'd be this group of people serving this week, and next week this group of people would be serving, and the next week, and it would have a, a, a routine and a rotation of all these servants. David did all of that and basically just handed it to Solomon. Solomon was very young when this happened. But David made sure that his son had everything he needed and everything was going as smoothly as planned. And I love that. In Proverbs 13, 22, a wonderful verse, it says this, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And I love that. Not only to his children, but his children's children. You know, God has given him such wisdom and such grace that he's very careful about his finances, so much so that he's able to store and to save. And when he finally passes on, he's able to give to not only his children, but his grandkids. That's a wonderful thing when that can happen. We're going to see now in verse 13 that Solomon would ultimately, he's going to execute judgment upon Adonijah because of his treason and treachery, and also Abiathar the priest, because of his conspiracy with Adonijah and David's nephew Joab. And uh, so let's look at verse 13. It says, Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, remember David had six sons by six different wives while he was in Hebron, and Adonijah was the number four son. The first one um, was Amnon, remember, and he was killed by Absalom. And then the second son, whose name was really Daniel or Chiliab, 
Um, he must have died when he was a really young man. The third son was Absalom. Absalom was killed by Joab, David's nephew. And now the fourth son is Adonijah, the son of Haggith. Notice he comes to Bathsheba now. He doesn't come to Solomon. He goes to the mother. He goes to the mother. You notice that? He doesn't just request an audience before the king. Maybe he knew better. And maybe his death sentence would have been that day. I believe that in his heart he knew that he had to speak to somebody a little softer, somebody who might give him a few cookies. Oh, Adonijah, that's so horrible what happened. I know my son is king now and you're nothing, but you know, maybe some chocolate chip cookies would, you know, bring solace to your pain. You know? I don't think uh, Bathsheba was like that, to be honest with you. And I don't think they had Hershey's chocolate chips either, which was a travesty for David. But anyway. So anyway. So Adonijah, the son of Haggith, comes to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and so she said, Do you come peaceably? There's reason for her to say that because uh, he thought he was going to be the king. And now Solomon's the king. And he said, peaceably, I come peaceably. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, say it. And then he said, you know that the kingdom was mine and all Israel had their expectations on me that I should reign. Do you sense in that tone of his voice, even just by reading that, do you think that he's really settled with the idea that Solomon should be reigning instead of him? I don't think so. I think he's basically, there's, some, there's a root of bitterness, and certainly there is a root of bitterness. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's, for it was from the Lord, his from the Lord. Now I ask one petition of you, do not deny me. And she said, say it. And, she, and he said, please ask, speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you, that he may give to me Abishag, the, the Shunammite, his wife. And so Bathsheba said, very well, I'll speak for you to the king. So Bathsheba, we, we remember what happened, right? She goes in, basically, I'm just going to paraphrase because we've already read this. She goes before the king, and he bows, and, and, and he, she basically tells King David that Adonijah wants Abishag, the Shunammite, to, to be wife, his wife. Now, remember that Abishag was the young girl, the virgin girl, when David was really old. It tells us this in the first chapter, if you weren't here last week. That David was really old and he just couldn't keep warm. And so they searched out. And this was common in those times. It wasn't like he was having intimacy with her at all. It had nothing to do with that. He was an old man and she was there just to keep him warm at night. And she would tend to his needs, take care of his feet and, you know, you know rub his feet to get circulation. That kind of stuff. She was basically an aid to him. But now Adonijah wants her to be his wife. Which is kind of a problem. So, King Solomon answers, says, you, know, you know, why don't you ask him for, the king, ask, uh, for him the kingdom as well, for he's my older brother, and also for Abiathar the priest and Joab, all the enemies who were against me, why don't you just, you know, Solomon's not very happy, and so therefore, as the Lord lives, he basically says, this man's going to be put to death today. And so, obviously, Solomon took this request of Bathsheba's, which was really Adonijah's request, as a claim to the throne. As a claim to the throne, by asking to have Abishag, the Shunammite, as his wife, was basically asking for, um, showed that this man, he wanted to make a claim on the throne. And this idea isn't new at all. You might want to write in your margin 2 Samuel chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. Again, 2 Samuel 3, verses 6 through 10. You can read this, but basically it looks like this. Now it was so, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David... 
and this is after Saul's death, by the way, that Abner was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul, and Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, and so Ishbosheth, who is now the king in his father Saul's place, said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? And then Abner became very angry at the words of Ishbosheth because it created this. Ishbosheth knew what that meant. That means that Joab, the general of the army, he's thinking to himself, Joab is thinking that he ought to be on the throne. But I'm on the throne. And by going into his, his dad's, Saul's concubine, by going in unto her, he's basically making a claim on the throne. That's a big deal. And that's exactly what Adonijah was doing here. And that's why Solomon responded the way he did. And so King Solomon, verse 25, he sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and he died. That's it. Killed him. Not only for his treachery. You know, I think Solomon realized at this point that things weren't going to change with this man. He told him originally to go to your house and you better be careful. And then what does he do? He goes into the king, the king's mother, and gets her to tell Solomon, hey, can I have dad's you know, wife as you know, Abishag? And, 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 and Solomon's, you know, he's got that blood pressure cuff on him and it just blew up at that point, right? It just blew up. So... So verse 26, and that wasn't all. So Adonijah received his death sentence. And to Abiathar the priest, the king said, go to Anathoth. And this is about three miles northeast of Jerusalem. He says, go to Anathoth, to your own fields, for you are deserving of death. But I will not put you to death. At this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted, and Abiathar was a loyal man to David, but here when Adonijah came to his own, um, when he wanted to be king, uh, this priest, Abiathar, uh, went with him. And so he was worthy of death for, for treason, for treachery. But again, Solomon, being a man of mercy, he says, you're not going to be put to death, but I want you to go home and I'm going to replace you. And, um, and here was Abiathar's treachery. Um, it, it was all in the first chapter of this book that we read. In verses 5 through 7 of chapter 1, it says, Adonijah, the son of Haggadith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And, and it goes on in verse 7. It says, Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest. And they followed and helped Adonijah. Now you can see where the treachery is, right? And also in chapter 1 of verse 24, says the, basically the same thing, um, that he went to that, that big party that Adonijah was having to basically call himself king. And, and Abiathar was there along with Joab. And so Solomon, verse 27, removed Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spake concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. Now you may be wondering, what is this word of, that was spoken concerning Eli at Shiloh? Remember back in the very early verses of 1 Samuel, um, Eli was the high priest in Shiloh, and that was where uh, Samuel 
came as a very young man. I'm talking like really young, like four, five, six, seven years old. He came and he started to minister at the temple there, or at the tabernacle, excuse me. But it was during that time because Shiloh, or because Eli, the priest, was such a uh, compromised man, and so were his sons, that a man of God came to speak to Eli, and he basically prophesied that his descendants, that they would be, they would be cut off, basically. And let me just give you the verse. We, we don't have time to go there tonight, but check out 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 27 through 36. 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Verse 27 through 36, and you'll see why this was such a big deal, because Abiathar was a descendant of Eli. He was a descendant of Eli. And, um, and so Zadok, the other high priest, would ultimately be a king in his stead. Because remember, Aaron the priest had four sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Well, Nadab and Abihu were consumed by fire, remember? And then there was Eleazar and Abithamar, or Ithamar, I'm sorry. And um, Eleazar was the, supposed to be the high priest. But for some reason, in the first part of Samuel, we see that Abiathar is priest. And he, he's a descendant of, uh, of Ithamar. And so when he was removed from being priest, the rightful a descendant from Eleazar, who was Zadok, he would be the one to be put in Abiathar's place. And so, but you can check that out in uh, in First Samuel chapter uh, two, verse twenty-seven through thirty-six. So going on here in verse 28, it says, Then news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adonijah, though he had not defected to Absalom. And so Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. This is kind of a funny thing for us, because when somebody took hold of the altar, the horns of the altar, basically what they were doing is pleading for their life and asking for mercy. And you can write again in your Bible, off to the margin, Exodus chapter 21. Uh, verses 12 through 14. And this is really uh, what the law said concerning those um, who had done violence. Notice what it says. It's not too good for the guy who did this. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. But if a man acts with premeditation, and this is what um, he did, this is what um, he did, he acted in premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery. You shall take him from my altar that he may die. In other words, it's assuming that he's going to go up to the altar and plead for mercy, but he says, take it, pry his hands off and kill him <laughs> because of what he's done. And, and that was uh, the way they did things. And I bet the crime rate was pretty low back then. <laughs> but anyway... Verse 29, And King Solomon was told, Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. There he is by the altar. And then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go and strike him down. And think of what this must be for a young king to be issuing these kinds of things. And yet David told him, You've got to be careful of these guys. You know? And, and, and now Solomon, he's not afraid. He's just filled with the Spirit of God. He's just, he's not afraid to execute judgment where it needs to go. And so 
Um, so Benaniah went to the tabernacle of the Lord and uh, said to him, Thus says the king, Come out. And he said, No, but I will die here. And Benaiah brought back word to the king, saying, Thus says Joab, and thus he answered me. And the king says, Well, do as he said, and strike him down and bury him, that he may take away from me and from the house of my father the innocent blood which Joab shed. And so the Lord will return his blood on his head, because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he, and he killed them with the sword, Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah, though my father David did not know it. And so he tells Benaiah, go and kill him and take care of business. And he says, their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. And I love that. Isn't that what you want too? Peace forever from the Lord. And you know, as believers in Jesus Christ, the enmity of our sin has been taken care of on the cross. We no longer have to face God as judge. We face him as a friend. We face him as a servant. We face him as the bride of Christ. And with all the grace and all the love and all of that 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 affords. And I don't know about you, I'm, I'm glad to be on this side of things. Aren't you glad? Because the Lord loves you. He loves you. He's insanely in love with all of you. And I love that. He's done so much for us. So Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck and killed him, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. Verse 35, the king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place over the army, and the king put Zadok, the priest, in the place of Abiathar. That's a big deal, because that has been something that, that, that God made sure to correct, because it was always the line of Eleazar that was to rule. And for some reason, when Eli was the high priest back in the first chapters of First Samuel again, it was Abiathar, who was um, you know, um, a descendant of Ithamar. Actually, I think I got that mixed up, but you, you'll see it. <laughs> so notice now, things are, are, are slowly getting into order. And then it says in verse 36, that then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there and do not go out from there anywhere. So he basically puts him in house arrest. He doesn't put him to death. But remember David, what David told him. He says, you know, find an occasion. This guy is not, there's, he's got, there's nothing good about this guy. Even though he confessed to me and he, you know, crocodile tears, I get it, but there's something not right. And David, in his own heart, has such a great discernment and a suspicion about this guy. He says, Solomon, you better be careful of that guy. And so Solomon says, he doesn't put him to death. You notice what Solomon did? He gives him, he puts him under house arrest and he gives some conditions. He says, For it shall be, verse 37, on the day that you go out and you cross the brook Kidron, know for certain you shall surely die. So you got to stay in that house. And if we catch you outside of your house, you're going to die. You're under house arrest. You break that and you're going to die. And so in Shimei, I said to the king, The saying is good. As my Lord the King has said, so your servant will do. And so Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. Now it happened at the end of three years that two slaves of Shimei ran away to Achish, the son of Maacah, the king of Gath. And they told Shimei, saying, Look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shimei, forgetting all about the command from Solomon, thinks, Well, certainly this thing is past now. Certainly I can at least go out to Dunkin' Donuts and get a coffee. 
Shimei arose, he saddled his donkey, and he went to Achish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shimei went and brought his slaves from Gath. And Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. And the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, Know for certain that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die? And you said to me, the word that I have spoken is good. Remember that, Shimei? Uh, I don't know. I guess so. Well, we've got a recording of it. You want to hear it? I got it on my iPhone. Let me play it back for you. Remember what you said? Here, I'm just going to play it for you. That sounds like a good plan, Solomon. Thank you for your grace. Click. Do you remember saying that? Yeah, that's what you said. Hmm. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? And at this point, you can see Shimei's pupils start to get really kind of dilated. And the king said, moreover, to Shimei, you know, as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father, David. And again, this is going back to when he, he, he basically cursed David and his family as he left Jerusalem. And he says, you know, as you're hearting all the wickedness that you did to my dad, therefore the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon should be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. Now, why did he say this to him? Why did Solomon say, but King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever? Why did he say that? Write this scripture reference down. Write at this verse, 2 Samuel 16 verses 7 and 8, because this is what Shimei said to David as he was leaving in exile. This is the curse that Shimei had placed on David. It says that Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. That's what he said. And it couldn't be further from the truth. And so now God has basically turned that whole thing around of, of, of this curse that Shimei had placed on David. And then Solomon says to Shimei, but guess what? King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. Not diminished and gotten rid of like you think. No, it's going to be established forever. So, verse 46, so the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, this was now, this man, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, he is now in the place of Joab, who used to be David's general of his army, and now he is dead, and now Benaiah is in that place. And so the king Solomon commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and he struck him down, and he died, and thus the kingdom was established in the hand of of Solomon. Again, I bring this uh, verse up to you in Galatians. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And you know, as you read, as we've read this tonight and looked at it, and you think about how the lives of these men could have been so different if they had just done the right thing, if they hadn't been the way that they were. You know, and it really 
brings, it comes into focus for us tonight. You know, seek to live a life without regrets and, and, and live a life above reproach that there would be no accounting or no accounts that need to be rectified at any time. That every night when you go to sleep, you can confess the sins that you've committed that day. And if you don't remember what they are, that's okay. But, you know, confess everything that you know and have your accounts clear before God. And if you've got something against somebody else, then go make it right with them. Don't let days go by and your anger and your frustration to fester. And this happens in families and relationships all the time. Why do we do it? Because of our pride and self-centeredness. Go get it right. Get it right. Tonight. Tomorrow. Get it right. And therefore you will, you'll be clean. Your, your slate will be clean. See, Joab and Shimei and Adonijah, they didn't have clean slates. There was a lot of blood, a lot of treachery on their plates that they never got right. So seek to live a life of no regrets and do the right and honorable thing, even at great sacrifice, and God will re reward you for it. He will. He'll reward you for doing the right thing, even when it hurts, even when it's a sacrifice to you, even if the other person doesn't reciprocate, it's always important to go and try to make peace. Because God's not going to, you know, you can only do so much, like, right, the, the old phrase, it takes two to tango. If one person doesn't want to tango, tango ain't happening. But if you go to tango and you go to say, you know what, I'm sorry, God looks at you and says, you know what? Your slate is clean, even if they don't forgive you. Even if they respond meanly to you and they want nothing to do with you, I'm going to reward you for what you did to try to reach out an olive branch to them and try to make amends. You know, let's be people that do that. Let's not let that die in the Christian church. And start at home. Start with your own spouse tonight, with people under your own roof, and do that today. Do that tomorrow and get everything in the open. Say you're sorry for things that have happened. That we can live a life without regrets. Unlike these men whom Solomon had to ultimately get rid of because of their treachery, because of their sin, unrepented sin. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for the example of, of your word, Lord, and Lord, how it really challenges us and changes us. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to change us, Lord. Would you please, Lord, just minister to our hearts tonight. And Lord, help us to be forgiving and loving to one another, Lord. To reach out and to get our accounts in order with people and not allow any longer, Lord, the festering, Lord, the anger built up, the unforgiveness, the, all of this ugliness. Lord, may we be first to go forward and try to reconcile. Lord, would you do that work in us, Lord? And thank you again for just meeting us here tonight, Lord. What a blessing it is. We love you and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.